It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hello and welcome to another special edition of The Political Party as part of this replay series. And I'm only going back. It's last year, but it's... It's almost two years ago, January 2022, and the first time I interviewed Angela Rayner. Now, this interview went viral about 15 different times. People would listen to it, realise a different bit of it, and it would make the news. Then they'd go back and listen to another bit, write that. It was like every week, different parts of this interview got written up. And Angela has been on the show since, and both times she's been on, she is just a megastar. She is total charisma and more than that because you she's so clever and and she really realized the difference she can make and her life and what she's done with it is just such an inspirational story and i mean those things are all important she's also just brilliant fun and this <laughs> this is just a total riot this is one of my favorite interviews from the history of the show i know it's only last year but i i just had to pick it um, this is with a woman who is on the precipice of becoming our next Deputy Prime Minister, Angela Rayner. We have such a special guest tonight, someone I've never interviewed before and never met before, someone that I've admired since she first became an MP just seven years ago and is already one of the biggest stars of British politics. She is one of the most outspoken and charismatic members of Parliament. She's the most powerful woman in the Labour Party. Please raise the roof for Angela Rayner! <laughs> <laughs> Angela, welcome to the show. Thank you. I said he had to introduce me like that, or I won't come on. <laughs> yeah, it was a bit swearier, your version. Oh, sorry, I forgot your drink. Um, give me a second, sorry, 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 sorry. That's very rude of me. I've got water for me, and I've forgotten that um, you need a drink, so... Uh, sorry. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> What's it? A- absolute and Diet Coke? It is, yeah, but if you haven't got the wine and cheese, I'm off. <laughs> I've gone up in the world now. <laughs> I know what the standards are to get into government. <laughs> see how much of this you can this get This is where I'm now. going wrong, you see. Um, how large a serving do you like? Or should well, I just that's free about pour? right for me, yeah. <laughs> or should I just free pour? <laughs> I've got some ice in here for you, you see. Oh, I've got ice as well. Oh, yeah. This is posh. Oh, yeah, it's a posh old dough. People have paid money and everything. There we go. I'll save a bit back. Or do you like a lot of ice? Oh, no, because it dilutes the vodka. Oh, shit, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's what they do in a bar, don't they? They put way loads of ice in so they water down the drink, so it costs them less. Um, do you want to do it yourself? or Yeah. Should I, I do it? It's more COVID safe, isn't it? Right. If you, yeah, COVID safe if you and all pour that. Pour your own vodka. I'll drink my own as well, if that's all right. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to share it. Okay, so what? Was that? Don't judge. <laughs> Gosh, this is a harsh audience. Oh, I'm yeah. Not, I'm not even said anything yet. 
<laughs> well, I, I mean, it's, uh, people might have expected a slightly larger... Oh, sorry, yes, a Thank slightly you. larger serving, but... Um, oh, right, OK, I'm starting. Start, you know, Monday night, isn't it? I've got my staff with me, they're worried. <laughs> I, I'm sure they're used to it. They, they really are now, yeah, but, you know, they've been working long hours. <laughs> so, <laughs> so on a Tuesday, but what have you got first thing in the morning? Because that sort of determines how much you can drink tonight, I guess. Shadow cabinet. What time? <laughs> But the thing is, at the moment, it's on Zoom. <laughs> Perfect. So I'm like, yeah, I'm here. And do you have your camera on or camera off? Camera off. I've got a trauma-induced cataract, so... <laughs> what? Hang on. Right. First, you're the Do you shadow. know, I really didn't think it would ever come into its own. Like, when I was young... <laughs> when I was young, I, was, I fancied this lad, and I was about 12, 13, and he wanted to go for a cig in the bushes, so... <laughs> I thought I'd be really cool, you know, follow him. And he stood on this twig, and I was walking behind him, and I didn't stand on the twig, and as he left off it, it flew up and hit me straight into the eye. Ooh. So I've got a trauma-induced cataract, which means that the glare often gives me a migraine, so Zoom is yeah. a bit of an issue for me. Funny that these six spotlights <laughs> haven't triggered it. Fine so far. <laughs> it might do later, depending on the questions, but at the moment, right. <laughs> not say, Angela, please put your camera on. You can see us, we can't see you. It's just not fair, Angela. No, I really can't see Keir saying, I want to see more of you, Angela. <laughs> 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 I'm in trouble already, aren't I? This is not good. I've not even had a drink yet. No, 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 stop up. It'll be fine. Thank you. <laughs> So, what is it, you know, the, the relationship between, certainly in the Labour Party, leader and deputy is always studied Blair and Prescott um, and now Keir Starmer and Angela Rayner. Mm. How does it work? Like, is, is there a formal element to it? Do you have to meet, like, every so often? We try to, because otherwise, because our diaries are so busy, otherwise we'd just be, like, passing ships, wouldn't we? So, um, but, no, we, we have informal as well. What was really funny, in, in, in the, in, when we was working in the middle of COVID, is that it was only me and Keir in the office, literally, at the time. And uh, I did this thing for... I, I do this thing for trainee journalists, about 70 of them on this Zoom call, as I was doing it in the office. And they asked that very question, you know, how do you get on with Keir? Do you? And just as he said it, I'm not kidding you, Keir jumps through the door and says, Ange, do you want a brew or, or a sandwich? <laughs> so I was like, come here, Keir, you know, come here. And I'm not kidding you, he just literally popped his head and my photo bombed my Zoom. And the, these... These trainee journalists was like, this is unreal. And it was like, yeah, that's organic. This is how we roll. So, so we do actually, you know, we do do these quirky things where we get on and see each other and stuff like that. <laughs> Not like that. You've you been reading far too many newspapers. <laughs> Today's newspapers. <laughs> well, if you'd read them, you know it's not gear. <laughs> I mean, how do you feel about um, your private life being in the papers? Do you know what? It, it is what it is. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, it's just one of those things, you know. It, it's more harder for my family because they, have to, they read it and it's like, you know, then it's a bit awkward. It's like my son thinks I spent 85 quid on a pair of shoes. It's like, it's 55 quid. I got them in the sale. <laughs> do you know what I mean? If you're going to say something about it, at least get it right. You know, it was a... It was a dress, and it wasn't even the right place where they said I got it from, so that can be a bit infuriating when they want to de-dress me, you know. So, but in all seriousness, it, you know, I, I'm used to it by now, unfortunately. I think it comes with the job a little bit, that you do get 
a bit of that. And there is a tint of misogyny in it. I've got to say, you know, I get quizzed on. Every time I do a PMQ, somebody has an opinion on what I want. Did you see the meme about Sharon Stone like I was doing at the last PMQs? I was mortified. You what? Like, they did this whole, like, meme about me apparently doing the whole, you know, the whole... <laughs> <laughs> Like, when did they do that? <laughs> What's that like, I hadn't seen that at all. Did you not see like no. the fatal attraction thing when they did the whole growler thing? <laughs> <laughs> I, t- I mean, I've, I've seen the film, but I wasn't aware of it. <laughs> I wasn't aware I did it, but apparently, like, there was this whole meme about how my dress was like, you know, a bit revealing, but I didn't think it was. It and was what? a perfectly suitable Karen Millen in the sale, by the way. <laughs> But what was the theory that you were doing that to distract Boris? I don't... I mean, <laughs> don't take much, does it? <laughs> I don't need to do that. <laughs> it's quite interesting watching you go up against him because there seems to be, and I know that you're ideologically opposed and I'm sure you have very strong opinions on what he's been getting up to. Oddly, though, in Parliament, you th- these rivalries get thrown together where there's clearly a bit of mutual respect. Like, I think he has a level of respect for you. Like, he seems to enjoy it when you're at the dispatch box. Yeah, I think he's got a bit of a romance going on there somehow, <laughs> hasn't he? Cause he? Do you know what I think it is? It's like, because Michael Gove kind of did this as well. I think they try and, uh, if you can't beat him, smooch him. Do you know what I mean? And I think there's a little bit of that going on. It's a bit like, oh, you know, it's like you can't beat a puppy. Do you know what I mean? You can't beat a seal. So, like, working class girl from council estate, if I start attacking her, I'll look really crap as a posh guy from a posh school. So I'll just try and compliment them in a sort of backhand way. And I think that's how they try and sort of deal with me because they don't really know how to deal with me. That's the thing. But my mates from the estate I grew up on, they keep saying things like, I've got to say words like, you played yourself. (laughs) (laughs) My mates are always like, banter all the time. Like, And next time you're up, the deal is, you've got to somehow weave into your question, you played yourself or some like street talk. So to wind him up. What other other phrases do they try and get you to say? Uh, All sorts, but I, I, I resist. I resist the temptation to go. Although I have said some stuff, you know, I do sort of like go, I, I do my own thing, you know. It's like last time when Prime Minister was like giving it all about the job and all that, and I was like, I heard there's a vacancy coming up. I just can't resist it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's banter, isn't it? You know, if you've been around the boozers yeah. and you've been there on a Friday night and someone's like doing a really crap job of hitting on you, you know how to sort of like put in a zinger and he just lines them up really well, doesn't it? <laughs> So it works, it works fine. I think that's how it is, so he doesn't quite know how to handle me. Because the first time I thought I got a free pass on him because what had happened was Keir had been pushing to get me on the Privy Council so that I could get security briefings. And there'd been delays and delays, and because num- number 10, basically the Prime Minister vetoes whether or not it happens. And so when he, I first met Boris Johnson at the dispatch box, he kind of didn't know whether to call me the Honourable or the Right Honourable Lady, but it looked like he couldn't call me a lady. So <laughs> he did actually play himself because I was like, but, 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 and everyone's like, she's a lady! <laughs> so he just like totally ruined his like opening shot because he didn't quite know whether I was Honourable or Right Honourable, so he did actually play himself on that occasion. Because <laughs> then it was just meant to me after that, I was like, yeah, you're mine. <laughs> But you don't seem intimidated by it at all. You know, we're constantly told that working class MPs find Parliament, you know, they say the, the design of itself 
of the chamber is designed to intimidate working class people, that we didn't go to private schools and the, the whole thing. I never found that. I mean, I've never been an MP, but I think it's just a, an amazing building. It must be a phenomenal place to go and represent the people that elect you. You don't seem cowed by it at all. You seem to relish it as an arena. No, because I just think, like, I think it probably intimidates people from the private school because they they sort of respect that institution in that way. Whereas for me, it's a case of I respect the people that elected me to be there. So I just see it as like, right, this is my moment to represent those people. So I don't get intimidated by that because I've already overcome the barriers that were there for people like me anyway, you know, going to the doctors, you know, seeing the police, they were all people that did things to you, they weren't you, they weren't the people you chat to, so, um, you know, I'd, I'd, already come over the, I'd already overcome those barriers, so Parliament to me is about the people I represent, not about the building, I do appreciate the building, I'm one of these people that gets the history and I love it, you know, when you feel that dispatch box, it's got like little grooves in it where other people have touched it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit creepy that, isn't it? Like, <laughs> <laughs> Next time you see me on the telly, you'll be watching to see if I'm rubbing it. <laughs> but, but it is, it's got history, do you yeah. know what I mean? It means something, but it means something to me to sort of do a good job. Like, that's the thing that sort of, the pressure for me is like, do a good job, don't let the people down who you represent. So I'm always like purposely thinking about them and that's why I don't get psyched out by it. I get pumped up by it because I'm thinking, right, here's your moment to say what those people expect you to say, so don't let them down. But there are people in politics who've been around, who've done like the student politics thing, been a special advisor, then got parachuted into a safe seat, shadow cabinet, cabinet. They are useless at the dispatch box. Mm. And you basically became an MP in 2015 and they were yeah. straight into the shadow cabinet. I did it accidentally as well. I've been, I've been a really <laughs> successful accidental MP. And <laughs> well, the thing that worries me the most is I thought I must be really devious and slippery and awful because that's what I thought parliamentarians were before we went in there. So I sort of went into politics by accident to prove that people like me can't get elected. And <laughs> <laughs> And then I kind of got elected, and not only that, I've been like one of the most successful at climbing that greasy pole, and I didn't mean to, that was the point. <laughs> I have never, ever taken Nobody warned position. you that it was a greasy pole. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> and I've never taken positions for... And that's probably one of the other reasons why I'm so, like, outspoken and do my own thing, because I've never done it for, oh, I need to do that because I want to be this, or I need to achieve that. So I don't take that seriously, but I've been highly successful, which makes me look at myself in the mirror and say, are you really a really nasty individual or are you a really nice person? Because <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you know, the fact that I've been able to achieve that, but it, I, I've just always gone with what I think's right. I've gone with my gut, do you know what I mean? And that's got me in trouble sometimes, but I've always, I've always spoke what I think is the truth. But... I mean, I understand why someone who comes from a trade union background wants to be a Labour MP, and that idea of representing the people is very important. But then within that, obviously, very quickly, you've developed a level of ambition. You stood for the deputy leadership. Do you possess that extra bit of ambition to one day lead the Labour Party? The thing is, as I stood for deputy, because, I mean, at the time, people were really pushing me to stand for leader, and there was this pressure behind me to say, look, you know... Um, the party needs people to go forward. I was getting, you know, a lot of people pushing me. And to be fair, that's how I became an MP because I didn't think he even had the uh, ability to do that. But people were saying, look, you know, if you don't step up, who is going to? So I, I stood for deputy because I'm an organiser by trade. I, I like to organise. I like to 
to do things in the background and uh, I've never seen myself as the solution to anything so and I know that sounds really strange because I seem quite a really confident person but I'm confident for the people I represent so putting yourself forward and up into that limelight is is quite a challenge and it has been a challenge for me in a learning curve um, so you know I stood for deputy because I felt that at that time it was important that my voice was heard because you know I was being put under a lot of people around me were saying this is what we need and it's important and I think if I'd have not stood for either then people would have been like oh it was almost like it'd have been easier for me to get out of that and go on the back bench just chill out I'd done a couple of years of I mean under Corbyn it wasn't exactly you know peaceful times was it <laughs> so I'd done like we had what the EU EU election we had like three general elections two leadership elections I was exhausted so you know I'd never been a backbench MP and I'd heard about all these wonderful things you can do as a backbench MP <laughs> like have a holiday <laughs> see your kids <laughs> you know so there was some like you know many of my colleagues decided to take a step back at that time because they were exhausted you know it'd been a tremendous couple of years but I felt that I had to step up because it was a voice that I needed to put out there for the people that I represent and I was hearing from a lot of people saying you know the Labour Party needs to be there for us and you need to put up or shut up so I felt that I had to do something and that was the way I felt I could contribute in the best way I felt my contribution would be better as deputy and I still believe that that is my best contribution at the moment because it's better for me as, as an individual to grow but I felt it was also the best use of my organising skills as a trade union, former trade union rep. I get the rhythm of our movement as well as what I see as what you would call the red wall vote really because I'm one of them as well. But also, I mean, it's not even just about leading the Labour Party, is it? You stand there at the dispatch box, you know, you like touching the one on the opposition side. Wouldn't you rather be Prime Minister feeling up that box? Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> I was going to say something like, I'd love to finger that box, but it sounds awful. <laughs> it sounds wrong. It's, uh, well, it's, not, it's not, well, it's just nine o'clock, we're all right. <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's like, yeah. I mean, the frustration for me is I've, I, I have literally spent the last six years not, not really seeing my family, you know, running around the country. I, I developed the National Education Service, which I still stand by as one of you know, the greatest things we could implement, a lifelong learning free at the point of use, modelled on the NHS. I believe in those things. I spent years developing it, the early years stuff, which built on the Blair years, which was about Sure Start Plus. Great and years. really taking that forward. <laughs> yeah, we were winning. So, <laughs> you know, I, I, I wanted to get, I want to do something. You know, you can, you can be a, you know, I did the stuff with uh, the Conservatives on the sex and relationship education compulsory in schools. I thought it was really good work. But it's all grace and favour. I can't fundamentally change things as the opposition. You just get to rant from the sidelines. And it's not worth it if I don't see my kids grow up and things like that. I want, I want them to, you know, when my boys are 30 and they say, Mum, you wasn't there half the week and stuff, I want them to say, Mum, the reason you wasn't there is because you did something, you changed things, and I'm really proud of you. So that's what spurs me on. I want them to see that it all meant something, that me being away from home wasn't just about shouting into the shadows it was about actually fundamentally making the change so that my granddaughter can have the opportunities that I had because I remember those opportunities that I had you know I went back to college after I was pregnant at 16 so I left school without any GCSEs since you know I was looking after my mum at the time school was a secondary issue for me so I needed that second chance you know I grew up on a council estate I was like that mum that the Tories were talking about you know the teenagers 
getting pregnant to get a council house. It wasn't that. That's not what we did it for. It's no fun. Um, I wouldn't recommend it. But, you know, I wanted to prove to people that I could do right. I wanted to work. I wanted to have that second chance. But I needed that opportunity when, I, when it was right for me. And it's not always right for people at that time. So I just, I believe in lifelong learning. And I want to achieve that. And I'm not going to achieve it if we're in opposition. when you leave school as a mum at 16, at that point, would you have ever imagined you would become a member of parliament or deputy leader of the Labour Party? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> and neither do my mates still now. <laughs> They're like, oh, bless them. Some of my mates from school, they still like fight with my Twitter bots and all that. I'm like, stop fighting with them. Yeah, but you're a nice person. They don't know you. I'm like, stop fighting with them. You know, they just have this pile on with the people that are the haters on social media. And it's like, so when my political life collides with my, <laughs> with my former life, it's quite interesting. Um, but no, at 16, I really didn't see that. I wanted to. I was at home. I, I wanted to just provide for Ryan. I wanted to prove that I was good enough because I felt that pressure uh, at 16 when I when I got pregnant. I mean, there wasn't even disappointment to be honest. They just sort of accepted that was what was people like me. That's what happens to girls like me. So um, there wasn't really much disappointment from anyone. But for me, I wanted to prove that I could be something. And Ryan was a real changing point for me because before I had Ryan and before I was pregnant I didn't really care about myself I, I called myself feral I was a street kid you know I was going clubbing it at 13 14 and things like that I was mixing with the wrong crowd um, and I could have took a really different path but when I got pregnant with Ryan everything changed because I wanted to prove that I could be a good mum and therefore, it, I just needed those opportunities to help me dig myself out of that deprivation that I was in. And it's not so much poverty in terms of I didn't have money. It's poverty of not that, having that love and self-respect because I never got nurtured and loved as a child. And that's why I'm so like, strong about um, Sure Start Plus and about those crucial early years so that children like interventions in my life even if it was just like my English teacher for 10 minutes spending time with me it's like why are you spending time with me so I spend loads of time in my schools now speaking to young people telling them how amazing they are because I know how positive that can be to someone who's never had that interaction and it feels weird saying that because you think you know my mum and dad did love me but they didn't know how to love me they had their own stuff going on and my mum was never loved as a child you know so she, we never got hugs we didn't get stories as a kid or anything like that so I went to Sure Start to learn how to be a proper mum to my son it's, I, I, it's not that I didn't want to be a mum to my son I loved him he, he turned my life around but I didn't know reading to your child is important I didn't know hugging like I thought kids just knew they loved it. It sounds weird to say it doesn't it but we never got if my mum or my dad or anyone tries to hug me I'm a bit like you <laughs> because it's just not natural for us and I had to learn how to take hugs off my kids and the best moment for me was when my son, yeah, I'm a grandma, when my son had um, his daughter, he just naturally scooped her up in his arms and I thought, that's the difference, it changed. It came naturally to him, whereas I had to learn how to accept a cuddle. And that's, that's the, the emotional deprivation. And that can happen in any household. That's why Sure Start Plus to me was such a big like, endeavour and it was such a big importance for me that it had to be universal. That it couldn't just be, oh, you're poor people, so you need it. It was like, no, from wherever you're from in any walk of life, emotional deprivation causes significant harm, and you don't even realise it. You don't even realise that, that your behaviours are like that until someone literally points it out to you. Okay.
There are so many people in this country that have had a similar experience to you. They don't end up going into Parliament. They don't... It just wouldn't occur to them. What is it about you, do you think, that makes you different? It, part, I think it was luck in a lot of ways. I was in the right place at the wrong time. So, <laughs> so for example, if I hadn't had Ryan, I wouldn't have then been motivated to get a job. I wanted to get a job. I wanted to prove that I could look after him. And my nana, who worked three jobs at the time, said to me, I'll have him in the evening when I come home from work. If you put him to bed, I'll have him in the evening so you can get a job in the evening because I need a childcare. So I was looking in the newspapers. They had no qualifications. And I saw an advert for a private care agency. And they'll take anyone. And they wanted evenings so perfect because no one had worked the evening shift. So that was bang on for me. So I started to work for a care agency. And then I'd worked for them for a couple of months. And then a job came up in the council. And one of the girls who I worked with said, and you should go for that because they pay you travel time and holiday pay. And so I was like, okay. And because I had a bit of experience, I was the last home help to be employed within the local authority. And then going into local authority, saw the big difference between the private sector and the public sector. And then I met the trade union movement. And then obviously I'm a bit gobby. And because I'd seen how it was, because I'd seen how it was in the private sector, and then I went into the public sector, and then they started to try and privatise the care that we were doing. And I'm like, why would you want to do that? It's like really crap in the private sector compared to in the public sector. We get loads more time with our service users. Why would you want to do this? This is crazy. So I kind of spoke up thinking management would want to do the right thing. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and that was my first lesson in politics. And then, uh, and then the girls who were worked alongside you were a lot older than me because I was the last one that came in said you should be our union rep and I'm like what's a trade union and then overnight I became the union rep and then you know the rest is history and then I got involved in the trade union and labour movement and I remember my old man said that, well we knew there'd be one left footer in the family I mean the most left wing we ever got in our family was my dad got the Daily Mirror every day and that was it <laughs> and even then I didn't know it meant that at the time but you know it was it, it was just one of those things we didn't do politics in our as I was growing up, but I certainly had a very big learning curve when I went into the trade union movement, and it sort of took off from there. And did you enjoy being a trade union rep? Loved it. What did you like most about it? The, it was so varied, and it fitted me because I'm, I, I like chaos. I suppose that's why, <laughs> that's why I've done so well in politics over the last six years, because when everyone else is like, oh my God, this is crazy, I'm like, this is great. <laughs> Never knowing what one day brings. It's like, this is great, this is how I like it. I like being on the edge. Because um, that's how my childhood was, you know. My childhood was quite chaotic, so um, a little bit scary. So it, it felt natural to me to be in hostile environments. So the trade union movement was a great place for me. I learned I a lot. And, and also I learned that, you know, um, you know, I was standing up for the underdog and I did a really good job of it. I was very good at it. And what sort of... I mean... I, I used to work for the Labour Party, I was a member of a trade union, I met trade union reps. When you say it's varied, I mean, I imagine most of it is just arguing with train companies about paying conditions or with local authorities, stuff like that. Oh, no, it could be one thing to another. So, like, we had this mass email once in local authorities that went sort of viral, everyone was sharing it, which was beer versus pussy. And <laughs> along with some uh, pictures and everything else. And that was thousands. Beer, beer, versus. beer versus pussy, yeah. <coughs> and they ranked each one based on cold, wet, warm, wet, you know, that sort of thing. And, What's uh, your staff? 
Yeah, so this was staff at all levels and all ranks in all different local authorities. And they were all like, oh, this is funny, so they'd share it. So we ended up, because there were so many that had obviously been involved in this, we ended up doing a mass agreement, which were individual disciplinaries, but we ended up having to do like a collective agreement on, depending on your rank in the organisation, whether you just received the email or whether you sent it on to a colleague or whether you sent it external on what, how far you went up the disciplinary ladder. It was quite interesting. And, and then I remember another time I was uh, thrust straight into a meeting with management to talk about a Section 31 partnership. I'm like, what's a frigging Section 31 partnership? <laughs> I had to sit there and wing it through the meeting. So therefore, going into Parliament and dealing with the chaos there was like small fry compared to the union movement at times. And then I had a, another time I had to represent um, a social worker who had you know, the management had left him in a completely vulnerable position where he'd had a serious accusation against him and it took me nine months to, to represent this guy and to support him. He couldn't see his family, he had to be removed from his family and everything else. And it was, you know, I learned a lot about the detail as well and being on the detail and, uh, you know, and um, they sacked him on the technicality, but on the main substantive stuff, they, they didn't, but at the end of that process, he was nearly in tears and said to me, I don't care if I've lost my job, thank you for believing in me because he you know he'd, he'd lost just about everything at that point you know and that one moment where i'd stuck by him and supported him he, you know it meant the world to him so I, I realized the value of the detail and not seeing you know it's not about what you see is all glitzy and glamorous sometimes that little bit of act of kindness or that act of dedication can have a massive effect on somebody's life if you're a really good junior rep you're like a lawyer really well, a plastic one, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think Keir would agree. <laughs> just, yeah, just call me Sir Angela Rayner. <laughs> Does he ever sort of flex his muscles legally? No, he's not like that. He's Honestly, he's, he's a good guy. He's not like that at all. Um, but, you know, yeah, union rep is about arguing someone's case and I can argue my way out of a paper bag, you know. Um, my, my dad said, like, I got grounded once and I was really cheesed off about it. My dad had these rules. By care? No. <laughs> yeah. And, and my dad had these rules on the wall and it said, if it's crying, hug it. If it, you know, if it's dirty, tidy it. And, you know, all this. And I put, if it's grounded, let it out. Because <laughs> that's kind of how I was. So I've always been a bit, I've always been a bit spicy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, because Kia's talked about resilience, where it comes from, you know, the things that happened with him and his family and, and the things that he went through that are very emotional, that however tough politics is, it's not as bad as that. I guess in the same way it's similar for you, that once you've experienced life in the manner in which you have, the House of Commons is just such a small problem. Yeah, exactly. And... Even though me and Keir are like yin and yang, we both are driven by similar experiences. But like, whereas I've sort of got through it by being more sort of talkative, more sort of open and expressive about who I am, because that's how I've sort of learned to deal with the experiences I suffered and the trauma. Keir has sort of dealt with it by being more sort of um, strategic, so he's as emotionally connected to the issues as I am and as dedicated to them. He just comes from it from a different point of view on how to get to the same aim. And I understand that about Kia. You know, he's the most passionate person you'll meet when it comes about his family. You know, he talks about them all the time. He cares a great deal about 
you know, winning and actually changing people's lives. So we both have exactly the same aim and we both have similar experiences in terms of he had a difficult upbringing, his mum was poorly, you know, he comes from a working class background, but he went a different route and he was trained. You don't do the emotional, you do the practicalities, you don't get emotional about an issue, you know. He's dealt with, you know, people who have been murdered, you know, really graphic devastating situations so he doesn't talk about the emotion he deals with the is it right or wrong and how do I put the forensic case forward it doesn't make it any less than the way I deal with it I deal with the emotional side of it whereas Keir will deal with the practical side of it and that's why I think we make a good team because we both bring those things to it if, if you're just emotional then you're not really getting to the nub of the problem whereas if you're just dealing with the nub of the pro problem you're not actually saying why emotionally it's important to do it so i think me and Keir work well as a team together on that basis i pull him out of his sort of lawyer and he pulls me out of my sort of roughness so we sort of, <laughs> we sort of meet each other somewhere in the middle so in that reshuffle last year where he, he tried to demote you. What was the number of the problem and did you get emotional? <laughs> <laughs> you know, these lights are really starting to look there. <laughs> I never get emotional. <laughs> I was perfectly reasonable. We came to an agreement and we were both very happy with it. <laughs> and was he reasonable? Ah, oh, he's always reasonable. He's a pussycat. <laughs> because he can't move you as deputy leader of the Labour Party because you're elected by the members. No, I don't think he'd want to, and he never genuinely gave me any indication that he wants to. He sees the strength. And we're not in competition with each other, that's the thing, because I'm not Kieran, he's not me, and I mean, that's pretty obvious, really. <laughs> And, but I like to think that we complement each other in that way, you know, and I have a huge amount of respect for Keir and what he's trying to do and, you know, like it or lump it, wherever you are in the Labour Party or anywhere else, you know, you look where we were and look where we are now, then I'm sorry, by any stretch of the imagination, he's doing a good job, so, um, and I like to think that I contribute to that and help in my own way, in the way that I operate so I think we make a really good team and we are a colleagues you know we do rub up sometimes but actually it's incredibly constructive and I would I genuinely think we've remained friends which is good you know it's a good thing to do and so th there was probably a bit of tension then that you, you, you managed to overcome it we are there's always a bit of tension in relationships I think you know anyone who says there isn't is lying but it's a mutual respect you know, it is genuinely a mutual respect. You know, when I, when I was elected deputy leader, me and Keir had not had a conversation before because obviously I, I was I was standing in a different platform and we hadn't had that conversation. So when I was elected, and he was, it was in lockdown. Do you remember? It was just after yeah. uh, we'd found out about the COVID situation. It was April, and it was it was all sat a bit bit of an anticlimax to what was quite a big a big deal. And Keir rang me and uh, said congratulations and the first thing he said to me was you've had covid i've not if i'm better than you <laughs> well, yeah. no that's not what he said but if you if you remember boris boris was genuinely like seriously ill at the time you know he was in he was in intensive care so the first thing Keir said to me was um you know first of all what do we need to do if something happens to boris johnson because it's quite a big moment for the for the country if that happens because he was very poorly and then the second thing that Keir said to me was, you know, I've not had COVID, you've had COVID, we need to put a system in place if something happens to me, 
that you're able to take over. Now, that to me signalled very clearly that he respected my election as deputy leader, and that set me off on the right track with him, because I thought, well, fair play, he didn't have to say that, but he set off on that tone that, you know, if something happens to me, then we need to put a system in place, because obviously with Jeremy and Jeremy Corbyn and Tom Watson... <laughs> Tom and Jerry, it was pretty much as, as, as the cartoon went, so... It, it signalled to me that that's not what he wanted and he wanted a different relationship, so it kind of set him on the right track. It was like, I don't even know, he, probably, he wouldn't have known he did it in that way, but for me it was like, it's, sometimes it's that thing where you don't consciously do something. It's like misogynism, sometimes people like are sexist and they don't even know they're doing it, and then you're thinking, oh, what a wanker. So, you know, when someone does something nice and they don't realise they're doing something nice, like, fair play, that's really nice, cute. <laughs> so he set off on the right track, in other words. Well, that's good. Um, and it's clear that you've got a constructive relationship and that the dynamic yeah. works and it's partly um, that, that dynamic is helping making Labour more popular. So you mentioned Sure Start earlier and the, the huge help it was to you obviously was a, an achievement of the last Labour government. Yeah. Um, not everyone from your side, a wing of the party, is always so complimentary about the last Labour government. In fact, in the Corbyn years, it was basically seen as a continuity Tory government. Or I got John McDonnell and Jeremy Corbyn to agree that Shawstart was a good thing. <laughs> Bridge the gap. And, um, <laughs> what, did you to, what did you have to do to them to get them to Problem. say? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. They, 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 they accepted that. They understood that as well. You know, it was. It, 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 sometimes these things are overblown because. It's a bit like what was said when, you know, our friend was murdered, Joe Cox, and we've got more in common than that divides us. And that is right in the movement, but for far too long we fight about the fine minutiae, do you know what I mean? It's, that's the problem with the Labour Party. If it's not perfect, then it's like, oh, it's terrible. It's like I say, we always, like, under-promise and over-deliver. Uh, and that's what I would say is the big difference between us and the Conservatives. The Conservatives will, you know, they'll over-promise and under-deliver and then say, look at what we delivered for you, isn't this wonderful? <laughs> Whereas we will under-promise and over-deliver and then fight about the bits that we never ma actually managed to do, but never talk about the bits we managed to achieve. It's just a, it's just a thing. It's like an abusive relationship we have with ourselves, you know, like, it's like the, when you look in the mirror and you think you look fat, you know, the Labour Party's always like, oh, we're not good enough, are we? It's like, yeah, you are, you're brilliant, because you talk about the great stuff rather than talk about the bits that you're not so proud of. And that's the frustration for me in the Labour Party, for far too often, we're too busy fighting on the things that we don't think we've got perfect, whereas actually what we've managed to achieve, how it changed my life... I'll never, be, I'll never be sorry for any Labour government we've had because they've made such big difference to our society that I, I'll never, ever be sorry to be part of our movement and I'm incredibly proud of what we've achieved. Um, <laughs> have you ever met Tony Blair? I haven't met him. I've spoke to him. I texted him, you know, when I was going to have that real... Like, I was going to, you know, after um, I said that four-letter word and then... <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and then, I had, and then I was doing PMQs, do you remember? It was just after that. It was my first like, outing at the dispatch box. So I text Tony and I said, you've had some pretty shitty PMQs. Can you give us a, can you give us a tip? <laughs> and what did he say? He texted me back and said, yeah, you know, just be yourself. And, you he know. said, have you seen Basic Instinct? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, he just said T and T. Tits and teeth, you'll be fine. <laughs> no, he didn't. He didn't. <laughs> 
just in case he's listening to this podcast, he didn't. He was incredibly supportive and sent me some wonderful words. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. People might be surprised that you and Tony Blair text each other. Yeah, I mean, we're not like bud and buzzy, buddies, you know what I mean? It's like, but I speak to, you know, I've, I've spoke to Gordon Brown and... You know, I've, like I say, I've text Tony and stuff like that. So they're all on hand. They're like godfathers, aren't they? You know, <laughs> you disrespect me. <laughs> <laughs> they're like the elders, aren't they? It's like Superman and the, <laughs> and the wise council. You know, you've got to keep them all happy. Like all the lords, my lords. I called them my lords when I was doing education because they were all like, they've got knowledge, you know what I mean? There isn't a report that they haven't read from the past so you know you'd be stupid not to listen to them but then you have to make your own path do you know what I mean you can't be defined by other people but certainly speaking to people that have been there done that and bought the t-shirt is not necessarily a bad thing and, and that four letter word mm. got into a lot of trouble yeah yeah um, we're like we like a Tory in that said a worse word than I did for them yeah <laughs> I yeah. never use that word. No, that's it's perhaps not the strongest defence that other people have said. <laughs> no, no, I'm not defending it. Um, but I can see how these things happen. Mm. Is, this, is, this, is, is my version of events wrong? You're at a party event. Yeah. The absolute and Diet Coke is flowing. More the cheap warm wine book one. The cheap warm wine is flowing. The yeah. M&S sandwiches have gone crusty. Yeah. But you're eating them anyway. Mm. And um, there's some warm white wine has started flowing. And you're amongst like-minded people. You're all having a bit of a laugh. You overstep the mark and say that the Tories are homophobic, misogynist, racist. I said Boris Johnson and his cabinet were. Boris Johnson's cabinet. Yeah. Who happen to be Tories. Yeah. Yeah. Homophobic, racist, misogynist. Was there another... Uh, misogyny, Transphobic. Yeah, there was quite a lot in there. It was basically a, uh, it was a, it a was full yes yeah. <laughs> Scum. Now, I imagine it went down well in the room. But the thing is, right, the context to it, and, and by the way, I apologise because it was wrong. Because what happened on the back of that actually was a lot of abuse. I didn't want people to abuse Conservatives. I want them to vote them out. You know, there's no abuse in, po- in pol- politics for me. They're, you know, people are elected, you know. I don't want to abuse Conservative MPs and I don't want to incite abuse. I want people to be motivated to vote against them at the next election. That's how democracy works in our country. But what I was doing is to a bunch of our activists was trying to say to them, why are we fighting each other when you've got a group of... You've got a Prime Minister who has been racist, misogynistic, homophobic, and we're fighting each other when we're allowing these people to continue in office. Because if we don't get our stuff together, then these people are going to continue in office, and that's our problem. So it was to a group of activists to try and say to them, look, you know, 
the bigger fish out there is that we're letting people down when you've got a prime minister who's openly said some pretty awful stuff that quite frankly i think makes him you know even before partygate i think that makes him you know completely unacceptable candidate to be prime minister you wouldn't last it you wouldn't last in a, in most jobs if you'd said what boris johnson had said so i just felt it was completely unacceptable. so for us to be fighting each other at that time i felt was completely unacceptable so it was my motivational speech to say get our act together because if not you're allowing people who have these views to remain in power i shouldn't have said it in the way that i said it and what what i was on reflection the reason why i was upset was because it incited people to be verbally abusive and some people sprayed stuff on mps officers and everything else and i didn't want that in my name because i wanted people to vote against them and that's my clear message, you know, I'm, I, I want you to get passionate about politics, of course I do, because it affects people's lives, it affects my life, but the way to change it is to vote against these people and to get organised, join the movement, you know, tell your mates and family, you know, I say that, there's always a Ukipper in your family, isn't there? There's always one that you avoid <laughs> at, at a party, you know, I get it, you know what I mean, oh, you and your lefties, you know, and it's like, you think, I'll just, you know, I'll just leave them to it, but actually, you need to have that conversation with them and say, well, the reason why we believe in this is because it changes people's lives, so that's what I wanted to motivate people to do, not to abuse people verbally or anything else. <coughs> That's one of the most effective apologies I've ever heard, because you now actually, in apologising, kind of justified saying <laughs> 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 People are like, you're right, actually, take the apology back. Um, but it's like, no, just get passionate, get passionate, get angry, but turn that into something positive about how you can change your community. And it does, it does work, you know. We had a Conservative seat that was like... Of you know, always been conservative, and then Owen Patterson's seat flipped. So they, they ca you can change stuff. That's the thing, because a lot of people say to me, "Well, nothing ever changes." You're all the same. So I want to motivate people to actually think I can make a difference. And, and do you have friends in the Tory party? Because sometimes actually people do have friendships in the house. Yeah. Which is nice things. So who are the ones that you get on with? Um, there's quite a few of them. I mean, my, my favourite, who's uh, no longer an MP, is Nicholas Soms. You know, me and him got on really well because I'm like, your granddad used to be an MP for like Oldham, so you need to come and speak to him in one of my schools. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, that would be really cool. This is Winnie's grandson here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? That's what I call a five pound note now, Winnie. <laughs> in in, in honour. <laughs> uh, but no, I, I, do, I, I do have conservative friends, you know, I do speak to quite a number of the conservative backbenchers. And and to people on their front bench, you know, and, and we get on totally fine. So, <laughs> <laughs> even after that moment, you know, some of them text me and said, oh, you don't think I'm scum? I was like, no, no, I wasn't saying that. Oh, that's that. so sad. <laughs> <laughs> oh. It's like, no, it's, you know, like a bit awkward. It's like, you know, he said the sex was bad. Is it really me he was talking about? No, it wasn't you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think anyone was going there. Sorry, it's the vodka. No, don't apologise at all. Um, but you know, it was like, they were texting me like, did you think I was scum? It's like, no, you're, you're all right. <laughs> <laughs> you're a nice toy. <laughs> you haven't been racist to anyone or misogynistic. If you want to identify yourself as a racist, homophobic, misogynist, then yeah. <laughs> you know, but I didn't see you in that way. But obviously... Um, 
I imagine you regret the, the fact that it seemed to contribute to a, a kind of negative Absolutely, yeah. tone of debate and, yeah. and people getting uh, abuse. Yeah, because um, it should never turn to that, you know. But whether I like it or not, and whether they like it or not, I'm elected. So my constituents deserve the respect of me as their parliamentarian. But equally, the Conservatives are elected. So they deserve the right and the respect because they've been elected by their people, whether you like it or not, they've been elected. So for me, it was about changing hearts and minds, not abusing the person that's democratically elected to represent their area. Because all you do then is it undermines democracy. If people, and I get a lot of abuse, if people try and scare me into not speaking, then what they're actually doing is silencing my constituents, because I'm there to speak on their, not for me, I'm there to speak on their behalf. So for me, it was always about motivating people to make that change happen. If you don't like the values of the person that's representing you, who's voting for these things, then work in your community to vote them out. That's the way we operate in, in a democracy. What I didn't want is for people to abuse people to the point where they feel scared that they can't represent their constituents. And, you know, luckily across the House, MPs say, well, I won't stand for that. But it's still, it's not acceptable. It's not acceptable that I get emails saying, I know where you live and I know where your kids are and you're going to end up like your mate Joe Cox. That's not okay, you know. And Conservative MPs have had the same. You know, they've had similar hate mail. And I just think that, you know, if, if abuse is not tolerated in politics, and I don't think we should tolerate it for anyone, including any political party, we shouldn't be accepting it. We should speak out about it. You talk about getting elected and the Tories being elected. What's your analysis on why the Tories keep winning? Or why does Labour keep losing? Because we, we wasn't offering what the people wanted to see. You know, that's the truth. We were, we, were, we were too busy. This is what I was saying before about perfect. Labour wants to be perfect. And we're too perfect even for our membership, let alone our voters. You know, so we alienated people with this test of perfection. You know, what? You don't know about what's happening in there? You're not left enough. You can't be part of us. It just, it, you know, it, it, we wasn't listening to the voters. We were patronising them. We were telling them what we think they should have. This is what you want. You know, it's very paternalistic. You know, they're there. This is what you need. Instead of reaching out and listening to what people were saying to us, so um, I think we had that disconnect because we didn't like what they we didn't like our voters. We weren't representing them, you know. They were saying things to us, and we wasn't listening to what they were saying. We were saying, "No, nah, no, nah, it's not that. What you need is free broadband." It's like, <laughs> no. <laughs> they want it now, though, when they were locked down. <laughs> but, but the truth is, is we wasn't we wasn't listening for for a long time, and this isn't about any particular leader. I think the Labour Party lost, and that's part of why I got into politics because what we were trying to do in the trade union movement is we got fed up. We thought you weren't speaking for the working class anymore. You know, we felt like there was a disconnect between the parliamentarians and the Labour voters. So the trade union movement tried to get more grassroots working class people. Into involved in politics and that's how I kind of got involved myself and I think you know that's what we've got to do instead of patronising or telling people what we think they want you've got to listen but equally sometimes challenge because it's right you know you don't give away your values just for a vote that's wrong 
But it's about bringing your values together, aligning them with other people's. Because I do believe this country is all about fairness, playing by the rules and looking after each other. I do believe that. That's what socialism is, you know. And I do believe that our country is a socialist country. Just they don't call it that. You know, if you called them a socialist, go, no, I'm not. I said, yeah, but if your neighbour fell over, would you pick them up? Yeah, of course I would. That's socialism. <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's yeah. like they don't, they don't see it in that language. So. Yeah, I mean, equally... Um, depends how far you want the socialism to go. You sort of well, pick them up and then report them to the secret police. Well, <laughs> no, th- then you start straying into communists and all that, and they <laughs> think that that's what we are, and it's like, I'm not a communist, I'm a socialist. The communists hate me. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you've got to understand the, you know, it's, you, you've got to understand the, the way it is. I mean, socialism, like I say to me, is about if someone needs help, you help them. You don't say you're on your own, kid. Do you know what I mean? That's, that's, that's just neighbourly. It's just about fairness. It's about being part of a society and helping each other and having a safety net so that you're, you all contribute, but you all get something out of it. You know, People don't, don't ask to be disabled. You know? I often say my son's you know, registered blind. You know, he's, gonna, he's not asked to be in those circumstances and he's going to do okay because he's got a mum who's doing well, but you know, if he needed to go on universal credit because he can't get a job, you know, is that his fault because he's got that discrimination? You know, I feel that in my, you know, I feel that on my conscience. It's like, well, you know, people say you get on, you you can do well. It's like, well, you can't if you've got these barriers that are there, that are external barriers. Socialism for me is about giving people opportunity so that you recognise those barriers and you level the playing field and you look out for each other. That's what it's about for me. And I think most people in this country agree with that. It's just that we don't always articulate it very well. <laughs> well. Yeah, maybe the Labour Party hasn't been the best sales force for socialism in the last Well, at five times or six we years. kind of just go a bit like, we just go a bit wonky, don't we? <laughs> you know, even, even me sometimes in a Labour Party meeting, I get a bit like, oh. What? what how do you mean? <laughs> you know you start arguing about subsection 9 of some like treaty that happened 30 years ago and you sort of it, it feels like bald men fighting over a comb because <laughs> a lot of people it's like well, there's the crumbs and we're fighting over it and it's like guys there's a loaf yeah but we'll fight over the crumbs here but there's a loaf it's, that's what we do. It's frustrating at times. Because the perception of you would be that you're on the left of the party, that you are um, very sort of soft to hard left. Yeah, I love that term. I'm soft left. Bit soft. <laughs> Is that how you describe yourself? I mean, I mean, most people recognise soft left, so I would describe myself as soft left. But I, you know what? On certain things, I'm not though, because on things like law and order, I'm like quite hard line. I'm like, you know, shoot the terrorist and ask the question second in the morning. <laughs> I, I, I'm like, sorry. No, God, they like, like the it. Most, that's the most controversial thing I've ever no, said. Absolutely. But, no, absolutely. But on the economy, I'm really radical. I think we need overall on the economy. We need investment. I don't see investment in our infrastructure as a dirty word. I think investing in our economy and diversifying it is actually the way you sustain Britain's economy for the future. Yeah. So I'm quite radical on that. I'm, I'm, I don't think public sector is a dirty word. I believe that it's part of our national security, actually, to have our key infrastructure as part of the public sector. So, I'm, you know, does that make me left wing? Yeah, but then on law and order, I think if you're being terrorised by the local thug, then yeah, I want a copper to come and sort them out. 
So I, oh, you know, I have, I have. This is like, I mean, I'd, so I. So you can't pigeonhole me. You know what I yeah. mean? It's like this is how I roll. It's like, yeah, you know, that's what I, I said that to Jeremy. I said, don't ever put me in that position because you won't like me. Because <laughs> 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 we're on a different page on something like that, and I think, but that's the p- beauty of the Labour Party for me is about we we do have different views, and it's about finding that way of connecting with the voters. But I don't think I'm disconnected from the people I grew up with. You know, I was plagued by anti-social behaviour. I was plagued by being robbed, you know, and it's not a nice situation. And, you know, I just think that, you know, you should be hardline on things like that. You know, it's not just, oh, you've been burgled, here's a crime number. No, yeah. I want you to beat down the doors of the criminal and sort them out and antagonise yeah. them. That's what I say to my local police, you know, three o'clock in the morning, antagonise them so that they realise yeah. that, no, you know, because it's the usual suspects, isn't it? We all know if you go up on a council estate, you know, it's the usual suspects who think they can get away with it. No, I want the police to annoy the hell out of them until they realise that, you know, disrupting pe- ordinary working people's lives is not okay. And these people deserve protection. So I am quite, you know, I am quite a hard line on stuff like that. I mean, oh my God. <laughs> like, this is like, you're <coughs> to the right of Tony Blair. <laughs> more police, yeah, I'm more police. I like police. I think they do a good job. And I think, you know, well... I'd like them to investigate a bit more. (laughs) 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 What is the way? I do like, I do like, I do like people. You see, because this is the thing, right? And it comes down to the party gate and everything else. It's like, most people in this country play by the rules. They believe in them, yeah? It's like, the rules are there. You play by them. So if someone seems to get away with not playing by the rules, then it's not okay. Whether that's the local thug, or whether that's the Prime Minister. You know, at the end of the day, you play by the rules, you're part of society, those rules protect us all, and when it falls down is when people don't feel like they get protected, and that it's one rule for them, one rule for everyone else, and I don't like that. So do you think, in dealing with Boris Johnson, who seems to have broken the law numerous times, and consumed Mm. a lot of alcohol, the police should go to Downing Street at three in the morning? Yeah. (laughs) They should be there already anyway, I presume they are. (laughs) But, you know, I, I, I do think, like, I, I do have a passion for supporting people who are in... Because I remember being in that circumstance where you feel powerless, you know, and you shouldn't have to feel powerless. If you're playing by the rules and you're doing the right thing, then you should feel the protection of the community around you. And that means that if you need the police, they should be there to support you. Oh End of. Yeah, no, I totally... I mean, you know, I, I try and remain impartial in these matters, but... <laughs> Absolutely. No. <laughs> Give them hell. But the thing is, right, if you've, if you've worked hard, you've grafted, right, you've got a really nice car, mate, say you've got an Audi on the drive, right, you've worked your mm. butt off, you've worked your butt off to get it, right? Yeah. You, you don't see your kids because you're working 10-hour days. It's your pride and joy. You've, you, you think everything of it. And then some little s- scrope comes along and steals it. <laughs> and then not only yeah. does someone come and steal it, right, but then you ring the police and go, here's a crime reference number. Nah, that's not good enough. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's important. Knuckle dusters, batons. <laughs> taser, taser, taser. But it's, it's, that, it's, that, it's important, isn't it? One person's yeah. mountain is another person's molehill and vice versa. I just think, you know what? If, it, it matters to people. It's a principle. If it's, if it's a wrong one, then it should be dealt with. <laughs> so we know how you think the police should deal with Boris Johnson. How electorally, let's say he's still the Prime Minister of the next election and he, and he goes into it to be re-elected. How does Labour defeat Boris Johnson? 
Well, I think he's doing a good job of it on his own, to be honest. <laughs> Four or something, I think he's joined the Labour Party. I'm mean, keep checking the membership <laughs> to see whether he's actually a secret cell. Um, it's the only party he hasn't joined. <laughs> hey! <laughs> It's because we just deal with like historical context and subsection 9 of whatever <laughs> something happened before. We don't do the booze. Um, so, but, but no, I think, you know, I think Boris's time's up because, you know, you can play and you can be a boy. You can be a bit, you know, you can be a bit of a banter and all that. But at the end of the day, when it comes to a time of a global pandemic and people are dying and your granny's in a care home and he's like letting people in with COVID, but you can't go and see your granny, it becomes a bit more serious. When you can't have go to your family's funeral, but he's like getting pissed, you know, in Downing Street, it's not a good look. And, you know, I think people recognise that even if we wasn't in a COVID pandemic, right, we're in a period of national mourning, the Queen lost a par- life partner. And you're, at, you're in a party and then you say you're not in a party and lying to people. I mean, that just... There's a line, isn't there? And I think he's crossed that line for most people now. I think he snorted it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um... But in t- you could say that. I couldn't possibly <laughs> comment. <laughs> but do you think in order to win, obviously Labour are polling well now, but in order to actually win an election, bearing in mind the mountain Labour needs to scale to even get a hung parliament, does Labour need to be more closer to the centre ground? Um, not, not, no, I don't think so, because I don't like magnolia politics. I call it magnolia politics, you know, when you don't offend anyone. If I've not offended anyone, then I'm not doing my job. You know, you have to inspire <laughs> as well as, you know, that's, yeah. that's the point. It's like, say what you mean and mean what you say. And you won't get everything. Like, in this audience, some people will agree with some of what I've said tonight, and some will definitely not agree with it. You're not going to get everything you want, but at least give people a feel of where you are so they know what they're getting. And I think that's what we've got to do. And I think we've got to take a, a radical chance on that. In other words, be bold about and be confident. I think that's what we've got to do. Be confident about what we are. And if you're speaking on the behalf of the people you want to represent, then you should be confident because you're feeding back what you're hearing. And be bold. That's what they expect from leaders. That's what they expect from the people that speak. But my constituents want me to tell you those things. It might not always... Ag- not everyone agree, but that's what I'm confident in what I say is what my constituents believe. Um, so I think if we're able to give that confidence and that clear message about what do we stand for and how are we going to change Britain for them, you don't have to have it all mapped out. It's not like a massive like 80-page manifesto, but they just need to feel you. Do you know what I mean? You yeah. need to feel it. What am I getting? So I I I just think magnolia type, playing it safe is just not the way to go. Play it with your heart, you know, speak from the heart and and you'll win because people can connect with that. Um, Whereas if you're just a bit too safe and a bit like, oh, you know, I don't want to upset that person or that person, then you're not going to please anyone. You know, you need to inspire people to vote for you rather than, oh, they're crap, so I'll take a punt on you. I'd hate that. You know, if we come to the next general election, it's just like, well, they're really shit, so we'll vote for you. I want to inspire you to vote for me. You know, I want you to feel some passion about voting rather than feeling like, oh, well, they're the best of the bad lot. It's better than losing, though, isn't it? It's better than losing, but still, <laughs> I kind of hope we could do better than, all right, you're less shit than them. <laughs> it's an aspiration, I know, it's a tough gig, but I'm kind of hoping we can get there. But the last Labour government was centre ground, 
But that didn't, Peace in Northern Ireland doesn't feel Magnolia, Sure Start doesn't feel Magnolia, Academies, what they did for the health service. You see, I don't think, if you look at 97, you wouldn't have said that was centre ground. Do you remember what it said about the national minimum wage? It was like, oh, it's going to collapse, you know, yeah. business is going to kill over, it's the end of business. And now it's like, well, yeah, it's fine, you know. Uh, even the Tories are claiming it. So, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's amazing how things change over time. But there was radical stuff coming out of the 97 government and Labour went in very fresh and was seen as very radical. There was change. People could feel that they had ideas about how to take the country forward. You know, Gordon Brown reformed the economic situation, you know, created the ONS and things like that. So, you know, there was, there was progress that was made, radical progress. Waiting times with the NHS, you know, absolutely dropped. Massive amount of investment. Schools, building schools for the future, you know. Brand new schools suddenly popping up from nowhere. And so th there was an infectious, like, radical edge to new labor and i think that's how people felt you know in genuinely 97 i think people genuinely went to the to vote and was like you're not as shit as them they actually went in and went you're you're good we yeah. want it and i don't think it was necessarily center ground it was because they had a plan for the future they had an optimistic positive future future plan for for britain and i think people like that you know and that's the challenge for us really because when you're in opposition you always look like the oh everything's bad <laughs> so you like the naysayers aren't you you like the people that you don't want to see at the bar you say how are you doing you're like well it's not great it's like i weren't really asking you because i wanted to know how you was <laughs> so, I mean, we're like the ones that are like a bit you know so you have to find a way of being upbeat about what you can achieve and have that aspiration and i think that's kind of what we need to deliver for the general election as well it's not just talk about how crap they are but actually inspire people about the energy that we bring to the table about how we're going to do things differently. Okay, now, a couple of weeks ago, I thought it was too unsafe to ask questions, but I'm going to take a couple of audience questions, if you feel comfortable. So, um, don't, uh, don't spray your droplets everywhere, then. for God's sake. <laughs> Try and ask it without shouting too hard. So, um, <clears throat> if I could ask for one-sentence questions, please, and one-sentence answers, if possible... Um, and then we can get through a few. So if we just bring the house lights up a little bit, just clearly indicate if you'd like to ask Andrew a question. And uh, I'll uh, just bring the house lights up a bit. I can't really see anyone. Uh, you I'll can't just, see a thing. Just, yeah, I you? can't see a thing, no. <laughs> uh, I, I don't think the house lights are going to come up. Uh, yes, there's a hand in the middle there. And let us know your name, please. Oh, Alex, hi. Is there anyone you'd actually be worried about taking over from Boris who'd actually see as a threat? Okay, I'll repeat that for the podcast. So it's from Alex. Is there anyone you would see as a threat taken over from Boris? Um, I mean, not as a threat. I just don't think the cons I think the Conservatives have run out of ideas. To be honest, I think they haven't got a plan for the country going forward. So I just think bring it on. I mean, the people that are going to stand have been part of that cabinet and they've propped up what everything that they've done. You know, we've got the COVID inquiry coming as well, which I'm sure will. Uh, say a lot about, you know, we've just seen the four plus billion that they've wasted on fraud, you know, and where they've mishandled it. It's great that we had furlough, but if you mishandle it, then you're accountable for it. So I think that as that comes out, you know, you can't just say, oh, it was all Boris Johnson. You were part of that cabinet. You were part of that, that government, you know. So I, do, I, I don't 
fear them. What I fear is us not getting into power and allowing them to continue for another four or five years. That's what frightens me, is that actually we've got to get our house together. It's interesting because my brother... Sorry, I know you said a quick answer, but I've got to say this. Well, I said one sentence, it's just a long one. I know, but I've got to say, I've got to say my brother, like, literally blamed me for, for us losing the general election. I think a lot of people felt like that. They felt that we didn't offer them an alternative, and this time I feel that um, we must offer an alternative that people can vote for. So, did your brother vote Labour? He did, but he was, re- he, he was reluctant. And what was it about Labour at the last election that he didn't like? He just felt that we were all over the place, too much, and he didn't like my leader. He was very clear, his ex-army was like, I don't like your leader. And you've propped him up. And I was like, well, you know, I tried to have those conversations because I think it was quite unfair, but I think he was quite representative of a lot of people at the time, whether fair or not. You know, he's the electorate. Yeah. <laughs> he, he has a vote, but, you know, he voted for me because it was me. Yeah. <laughs> well, he says he did. Yeah. Well, he did. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm Gavin and his rent, that's it. <laughs> but, you know, I think, I think he represents a lot of people, you know. You can't turn around and say, I don't like the electorate, change the electorate. That's the game we're in, and it was hard to hear, but that's how he felt, and I think a lot of people felt that way. And so he's ex-forces. Yeah. So, I'm um, presuming quite a patriotic guy. Would you describe yourself as a patriot? Yeah, well, uh, yeah, definitely. And my kids are named after royals, so I've got Charles Wilfred and James Stewart after the Stewart line, Charles and James, yeah. Wow. <laughs> Was, did I overshare? <laughs> I said this to Piers Morgan once when he said, oh, you don't like the royals. I was like, well, my kids are named after kings, you know. <laughs> Yeah, and you're named after Jeremy's brother. <laughs> yeah, he's yeah, like, yeah. Who's the lefty now, Piers? Exactly, exactly, Piers. Don't tell me I'm not. It's my royals. <laughs> okay, I, I really can't... See. Yes, there's one down here. Um, as you said, our trade unions are so important and our representation is so important. So how do you think we give more grassroots people the confidence to go for decisions that you went for? How do you give more grassroots people the confidence to do what you've done, stand for Parliament and get elected? I think it's part of why I haven't changed. You know, I still say party, not party. It's because I, want, I don't want ever to hover above my class and the people that I represent. That's why I talk so graphically about my upbringing. It's because I want people to connect to it. Uh, not because a lot of people go, oh, poor little Angie. It's kind of, I don't want that. I want people to connect to it to say, I'm no better than you. I might be the right honourable Angela Rayner, but I'm Angela Rayner, the 16-year-old who was terrified, who thought she'd never amount to anything. So I try and bring people in by being approachable. And that's why I reach out to my school kids as well all the time, is just to try and you know, make that little bit of difference. And I think not only do I do that on an individual level, but the one thing, and I'll ask you all in the audience tonight to do it, and I do it every thing that I do is um, encourage someone. So after this, if it, you just text or send a postcard or something to someone who you know is amazing, but you don't, you've never told them that you think that they'd be really good at doing something, then please, you know, one thing from tonight, if you'll do me one favour, is to do that. Give them a text or give them a post, drop them a postcard in the post just saying why you, you, they inspire you for whatever it is they do. It might be something really simple or whatever, and it makes my day when I get one. So please do that for someone else and encourage them. Um, my Twitter handle, by the way, is at Matt Ford. <laughs> 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 if anyone wants to say something nice or what? 
Okay, we've got time for one last question. So maybe, uh, is there someone near the back? Because we've taken more. Uh, right over there, and this is the final and therefore best question of the night. No pressure. Well, it's not so much a question. It's, uh, my wife's a ginger from Stockport. Hey! My wife's a ginger from Stockport. I probably know her. <laughs> and she's a strong woman. So I just want to say, you're a fucking absolute star. Well, what he said his wife's a ginger from Stockport. And that's not my husband, just in case <laughs> <laughs> any of you needed that clarification. <laughs> wow. I, I mean, but just on the Tories then, you would have no difference in, in fighting Jeremy Hunt or Rishi Sunak or Liz Truss. You, no, you don't think either one of them would be a better candidate? No, because the ideology is the same and the, 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 they've still been part of that. Jeremy Hunt slightly less because he, he got booted off the front bench, didn't he? And he's been quite outspoken, to be fair. But um, all of them have just, you know, been part of that process. Like I said before, you know, the ideology that I find different to them is that they think that as long as you work hard, you'll do well. Whereas I recognise that's not the case. My friends and people who I grew up with, they got more qualifications than me at school. They work just as hard as me. And some of them are living in real poverty at the moment. And it's not their poverty and it's not their fault. And if you acquire a disability or if you get down on your luck, you know, you've worked, you've grafted, you've tried to start your own business and something like COVID happens and then your business goes under, you know, I just don't think you can say it's because of your fault or you need to be looked at because you're on universal credit, it's your fault. You know, I just, I don't subscribe to that. I think actually as a society, we should give people opportunities and constant look for opportunities for people. That's what I think government's role is, is to try and, you know, give people the opportunity to help themselves. Not paternalistic, respectful of people to let them help themselves. And that's the difference. I don't think people want to be in poverty. People don't want to be on benefits. That's harsh shit. You know, that's not where people are at. People don't like it. You want to look after your family. You want to be in work to give your family a better opportunity. Most people want their kids to do better than they did. I believe in that. I believe in that's what we stand for. So our job is to make that happen for people. So... Uh, you know, wh whatever your ambitions are, if you became Prime Minister, firstly, do you think the Labour Party will ever elect a female leader? Yes. Um, and w in the next hundred years? Yes, because I'll make it. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you think it never has? Because... I don't know, because they, it hasn't, you know, I don't think it's particularly because they've got an anti-woman problem, to be honest, I don't think that's the case, I don't feel like me being a woman has stopped me in the Labour Party, um, you know, I don't think it's impeded me in any way, shape or form, I just think, you know, it's about when the time's right for the electorate to vote for it, but I'm going to do my damnedest to make sure they recognise that the time's right, you know, once we get to the next leadership, you know, but at the moment, I'm happy with Keir, and I'm happy to be the one that pulls the strings. <laughs> <laughs> so if you did find yourself as Prime Minister, having won a general election... <laughs> well, cool, that's some serious hangover, isn't it? <laughs> Where am I? Number 10. <laughs> Rushes encroaching. <laughs> like, oh my God, can I have a, can I have a bovril or something or a coffee first? Well, it's interesting that you picked Russia encroaching because, um, you know, the previous leader of the Labour Party would have been fine with that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure about that, but um, <laughs> I'm certainly, you know, the thought of being in number 10 is just like, it's scary, but it's also exciting. You know, the ability to change 
people's lives and outlet is just like it's intoxicating to think that's the that's what we should all think of. That's what I say to the members. It's like when you're having a bit of a mally because you're not happy about something. Bit of a what? A bit of a mally. What's that? It means like when you're having a bit of a rant, you know, you're upset, you're having a bit of a, you know, one of those moments where you're yeah. just like, Ugh. it's like when you're having a row, when you're having a mally. It's like when you're in that moment, just think about like the bigger picture. Because if we fight each other in our movement, then why would anyone want to join us? You know, why, would, would, why would they want us to govern if we can't even be civil to each other and, and that's the bigger issue because then we let down the kids that need the free school meals we let down the kids that need the shore start centers and everything else you know so and should labor choose a female leader of the labor party one day should that person be you <coughs> do you think britain would elect a working class woman from the north to be prime minister uh, yeah i think they i think they would i think they would because rebecca they, long bailey <laughs> they could <laughs> they or, could, yeah. Or, I, I guess I mean, or Angela Rayner. I mean, I'm, I'm, do you know what? I don't care as long as we get there. Do you know what I mean? I, I'm, I'll play my... If I'm the answer to the question, I know, for me, when I stood to be deputy leader, that was the answer to my question and the answer to how I think I could serve our country and serve our party. And I still believe that was the right decision for me and I still believe in that. And if uh, one day I think that that's the right decision, not not selfishly because I think somehow I'm going to be the big don, but actually I think that's going to get us elected and get us into government, then I'd do it, you know, because it would be an abdication of responsibility not to, but it'd scare the life out of me to do it. You know, I've, I've not got this, like, big ego that says, oh, you need to do that. It'd scare me after death, but um, if that's the only way that I see the answer to how we get there, then sure, I'm not going to... I'm not going to walk away from that, but it's not an ambition that I have. My ambition is to get Labour into power, and I'll, I'll take every breath in my lungs to make that happen. Operation Save Big Don. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not. Um. <laughs> that just sounds like Pornhub or something. Does it? <laughs> this doesn't sound... It sounds nasty. Blokes in the audience going, what website? <laughs> <laughs> Corn hub? What's that like? What? Yeah, don't Google it. <laughs> not on your work email anyway, because I'm not your union rep. You ain't going to get away with it now. I'm too busy. Angela, this has been such a delight. Thank you so much. Before we go, uh, please give a huge thank you to everyone who works at the Duchess Theatre and everyone from Avalon who made tonight possible. Thank you all very much. But ladies and gentlemen, this really has been one of the greatest episodes of this ever recorded. Please give a huge thank you to the fantastic Angela Rayner. Where do you even start with that? So many brilliant stories, anecdotes and things. And when I interviewed her in Edinburgh this year, again, just a joy. You don't want the time to end. You just want it. There's just she is so entertaining um, in such a brilliant way. Um, I, I just think you listen to that. You think we all need to go out on a massive night out with Angela Rayner. Until then, hopefully, uh, that last hour has has been the closest thing uh, you'll you'll get to it. And what a joy that is. Um, thank you for downloading this. And um, please, uh, you can email the show, politicalpartypodcast at gmail.com, but leave a five-star written review wherever you get your podcasts. And I'll be back next week with another, another walk down memory lane. Cheers. Bye.
Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. 